Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour, Mardi Gras edition. There you go. <laughs> hey, why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And if you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. Always appreciate hearing folks all around town, all around the country, wherever you may be. There you go. And I see we got Guard holding already. Right. Good morning, Garden. What can I do for you? Good morning. Love your show. Thank, Thank you. Uh, Lewis, I started listening to your show back when you were on public broadcasting. Yes, mm-hmm. And even when you had Mr. Harvey yes, on there. Mm-hmm. And as I remember at one time, you only did front end and moving parts on your vehicle. Right. And it seems like I might have not listened to the show for a while, and I came back and you were a full automotive you know, uh, shop. And I was just wondering how you made the transition into the new technology with the car, because I listen to your show, and the more I listen to the more I realize what I don't know. <laughs> I figured, well, did you go to school for a year and come back? <laughs> now, Garden, that's a good question. Basically, cars today are so integrated with all the electronics and all that, if you can do one part, you can pretty much do any part because it's all basically the same thing with just different renditions. For instance, if I'm doing brakes and I have to deal with anti-lock brakes and traction control, it's not a big step to go into engine management systems because it's all basically the same redundant things, and it requires the same type of stuff. It's just basically one big computer sitting on wheels right now. And what occurred in the industry is that if you couldn't address the entire problem then you couldn't really address any part of it for instance we were getting cars in and the guy would have a vibration which he thought was a front wheel balance issue brings it to us well you check it and it's not a star converter shutter when it goes in lockup so unless you could address that you couldn't help your customers very much when you start getting into something like say a front end problem well that's tied into the traction control which is tied into the engine management system so the car is so integrated if you can't address every piece of it then you pretty much are going to be useless now the trade-off is when you start expanding your services that there are going to be certain cars you can't work on so what you may also notice is that we no longer service european cars we service domestic and a lot of the asian models you have to start dropping car lines because you have to have so much equipment that no shop could afford to tool up to do every car on the road. So you can either specialize in a certain field, for instance, transmission shop or whatever, or you can specialize in certain cars. And that's just the way the whole industry has gone over the last 10, 15 years. Right. Okay. Well, thank you. That answered my question. Well, that's a good question, Gordon. Great thank, question. Thanks for calling, man. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing today? Doing great, doing sir. Doing great. Good. Well, it's a beautiful day here in Texas. So oh, very I'm good. i out and work on my car a little bit. <laughs> I have a uh, check engine light on my 2005 Sienna. Okay. It's a PO441. Okay. So I went back and checked the gas cap just to make sure it was tight and wasn't loose or anything. Right. That looks okay. So I pulled off the engine cover, and I'm looking at the purge, I guess, rack that's got, like, all the valves right. and tubes and everything mm-hmm. coming off of the it. Pack. Is it easier at this point with 200,000 miles just to replace that whole assembly or try to get diagnostically down to which one of those might be the problem i would definitely try to diagnose it david because actually the purge solenoid doesn't give a great deal of problem more often on that 
particular vehicle with that kind of miles, the charcoal canister in the back is going to be, if not the problem, at least the source of the problem. What happens is that that charcoal canister tends to break down over time, and the yep. charcoal can get sucked into the line, and that charcoal will plug up the purge valve. Well, you go and put a new purge valve on there, and that's going to last about a week to two weeks because it's going to do the same thing again. That's by far the most common repair we do on that car is that, and again, it's always at high miles, you know, 200,000 miles. So I can't say it's a problem. A lot of cars just ain't on the road anymore at 200,000 miles. Toyota still is and probably got another 200 in it. But I would try to get it checked just to make sure what is the problem and what is the cause of the problem. You know, even if it is the purge solenoid plug up, why did the solenoid plug up? And that's why yeah. you have to take it off, start shaking it, and make sure you got any, any carbon or charcoal in the lines. Right. That would indicate a failure in the back. I've actually seen that line plugged up and the purge valve changed two or three times, and you still have no flow. The light comes back on. You say you think, well, we got a bad valve, so we change the valve again. Well, right. What it is is the line is plugged up. The charcoal is real small, and what it does is it'll actually start jamming together, and once it starts jamming together, it packs in there tight. And a lot of times yeah. it takes a piece of metal like a— Almost like a speedometer cable or something. Yeah, to get in there and break it out to get it cleaned out. But we like to yeah. purge those lines real well, replace the charcoal pack if necessary. And sometimes I'll even get a little small fuel filter with the right size lines on it and put that in line just to catch anything else that comes through there. And, of course, that won't interfere with the flow or not. But, I mean, so many things can cause that code other than just the solenoid. Mm-hmm. I would probably, I mean, at very least, go on my website and just type in evaporative emissions or something to that effect, evaporative system. And I got two articles on it. it kind of tells how it all works and everything. Because something as simple as just a rubber line broken somewhere can also set that code. You know, just lots of stuff. And now, if you don't, you know, diagnose the problem, it's going to most likely come back on you. I have actually seen the tank pressure sensor go bad. And it's telling the computer it's not operating properly. Yeah. The tank's not getting the right pressure. And it, that's and not so much a Toyota problem. That's more of a GM it, problem we see. But I've never really had much problem with those. But, yeah, there is a sensor that tells the tank when it's got a vacuum. And if that doesn't respond, if it doesn't move when it tells it to, it's going to assume the purge valve is bad. Right. It's not sucking. There's just quite a few things that could be. I would at least want to know for sure what it is. And, I mean, alternatively, if you just kind of – handy and you want to try to do something without spending any money go on the back and take that charcoal canister off it's not that difficult turn it upside down shake it and if any charcoal comes out of it then you know you pretty much know where you're at yeah do not for any circumstances try to blow any air through it yeah don't don't purge blow through it because you can blow the uh, blow the the it's just a piece of fabric across the edge of the hole where that holds the charcoal in and once that fabric is deteriorated or a burst of high pressure air will tear it then you really got yep. a problem. Yeah. Just gently take a shake and if anything comes out then it's yeah, it's, it's pretty much bad. Also if you've okay. got if you got a known good one and you can use you can kinda of compare the weight of them and you can tell it's gonna be a lot heavier than because uh, it's gonna have some gas vapor and stuff in it, so it's gonna be a heavier than the originals. But those are kind of expensive yeah. too, yeah. so it's not that's something you'd want to change on a whim. But that's by yep. far the most common fault we find on them. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks guys. All right, Dave. All right. Thanks for calling, man. All right. Bye bye. All right, we're going to take our first quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more.
Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that could lead to big expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. While you're going on Hey, welcome back. This is Jones, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. We appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. Yeah, we do. Playing the Mardi Gras music. Of course, this is Mardi Gras season in Baton Rouge and New Orleans, South Louisiana, for sure. And a lot of people maybe don't understand exactly what that is, but like I explained, it's kind of like the World Series and the Super Bowl and the... <laughs> All combined. Yeah. All combined. A, rock, in a, in a, a rock concert and a drunk Fest all yeah. supplied in wood. Yeah, and what, an eight, eight square block area? Well, it's about 14 square blocks. Okay. 14 one way and seven the other, but just a huge, huge, huge party and comes back from years and years ago. I think they have the closest thing to it would be like Carnival uh-huh. in Brazil, which is very similar celebration. It's kind of a Catholic thing, but not really. Right. I mean, it's pretty much universal. It started out as part of that, I think, just a celebration before... You know, Fat Tuesday, the next day, starts the Lenten period Correct. in the Catholic faith. But though it's a last blowout before, before the force try to do the right thing for her party <laughs> days. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just it's something that's kind of hard to explain or comprehend if you've never been here. But exactly. it's basically about a five-day party. Of it's just something you got to see once, at least once in your well, lifetime. Well, and maybe only once. <laughs> yeah. Once may be all you can take. So next week we won't have a show a live show it'll be uh-huh. a pre-recorded show i've already put that together i think you'll enjoy it but yeah once you get where you want to be in new orleans there, you gotta stay there, yeah there's not any leaving if you leave you ain't getting back in you can go by foot yeah you, m- you might be able to walk out but that's about it last night i came down bienville turned on to decatur heading back and i get to canal and it's closed it's closed break yeah. coming so i gotta go all the way back go all the way up esplanade <laughs> and go out by city park try uh-huh. to get out so just one of them things. Yeah, I know they got a new car. Down there. <laughs> that's right. And, and like people, are like, well, do you leave for miles? I said, no. The reason I live here is for Mardi Gras. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it every year. Yeah, even, even got a place on a parade route. Oh, that's right. I hadn't missed it in fifty years. There I, you go. I hadn't missed the Mardi Gras. So. But yeah, we were talking. In fact, Garden, our first caller, brought up. I thought a really good point. And what he was saying is, years and years ago, Agco, as well as a lot of shops initially when i first started that company in 1974 we were full service we did everything uh-huh. and then over the years we found where we had to start to specialize because it just kept costing more and more and more to follow all these different fields it's hard to keep people trained sure so if you wanted to be the best there was at whatever you were doing you kind of had a special you would specialize and back in that era it was pretty common to see a transmission shop or sure. a tune-up shop sure or even a alignment and suspension shop people would specialize in a certain field or facet of the automotive industry, and it would get really, really good at that. Now, 
that offered a number of advantages because normally your prices would be reasonable. You'd be very good at what you did. But the disadvantage is it wasn't very convenient to the customer. He'd want to have five or six different shops to deal with. Depending, uh, to on, get, what, depending on what kind of problem he right. had. Not only that, but if a job came in and expanded beyond your specialty, then what would happen is that you'd have to send the car out somewhere else, which, again, was inconvenient to the customer. So at that point, what happened is a lot of shops started going more towards a full-service approach, but they realized very, very quickly that when you spend close to $50,000 per year per car to tool up, mm-hmm. because now you've got scan tools, you've got subscriptions that you have to buy, right? and it just gets to where if it's not enough of a particular car in a region, it's not practical to tool up and work on it. For sure. instance, people ask sometimes, well, why don't you work on Subarus? Because there's just not enough of them in the Baton Rouge area. And same thing with European cars. Baton Rouge is largely a domestic and Asian car market. Mm-hmm. I'd say 80% of the cars in Baton Rouge are either going to be domestic or Asian. Now, there are some other there cars are. around, but there are not enough of them for me to spend Tool. the money on all the tooling and all the training and all because I just won't see them enough. I couldn't get that investment back, right? and you couldn't keep people trained on it. So now the specialization has gone more to a totally integrated Pacific car type Line. of a thing. So, you know, we basically work on all the domestic cars, Toyotas, Hondas, Acuras, Lexus, right. and then the major Asian cars like Nissan and, and what have you, we can service because we can afford to tool up for those because there's enough of a demand for those services. Sure. The only drawback to that is that some of those less popular brands, you just have to drop them. You just can't keep on buying all the stuff to work on. You're just not going to see the car. You would be surprised how much you would spend in just special tools. Yeah. Between the manufacturers. Mm -hmm. Each manufacturer has their own set of special tools to do specific things. And like you were saying earlier, if you don't see enough of them, Right. You know, there's, there's no reason to, to try to tool up for those. Yeah, and it's just, it's really, if they were to standardize this stuff, they could bring the cost of auto repair down, down probably half of what it is now sure. and make it a lot faster and a lot more efficient for the clients, but it's, it's kind against, of sort of in against, their best interest. Right. You know, it's in the best interest of a manufacturer to make it as difficult and expensive as possible to maintain and repair this vehicle because that drives people to new cars. Sure, and that's what they're in the market for. Absolutely. If you've got a vehicle that you can't get repaired or it's going to cost too much to repair, that's the, the first biggest option thing to is, most people is go get another car. Sure. And I want to compare it to healthcare, but it's a little different in healthcare because you don't have the option to go get another body. Mm-hmm. You've got to fix the one you got. And just the way our moral system works, we don't allow people to just die because they can't afford this or whatever. But with cars, it's just not that way. Right. And it's kind of a shame because I can see, we were talking about that just this morning, how just a limited amount of specialization could cut costs so much. Oh, yeah. By by a lot. Take something like just a tire pressure management system. It's not one thing. Every manufacturer has a different reset procedure, a different relearn procedure. And the problem is they all do the same thing. They all do certain functions. Every every Same end result. Every one of them has the same end result, but the manufacturers go through it in a different way. Yep. The relearn procedure is different. Right. The sensors are different. Mm-hmm. It, the the way it's the software is written is different. Well, 
And what this means is you got to have maybe five or six tools. You got to buy all this information because you can't possibly remember how to do every one. Every one's different. Every year model's different. And information is expensive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They don't, it is very, it's not they like don't the old days when you go to a parts store and hand you a little book. book. Yeah. Right. No, they don't do that now. It's, it all comes online. You have to subscribe to it, and you have to subscribe to it every year sure. or every month or every use on, in some cases. Mm-hmm. Depending yeah. on what information you want. Well, that and depending on how much you use it for instance on gm ford chrysler toyota honda and those we just buy an annual subscription we have access to everything right but on cars that we don't work on nearly as much then we may pay a per use access fee mm-hmm. because it would cost too much to buy a yearly subscription we don't see it we don't, we don't use it enough right so on those you're paying a per use fee which can be 50 to 75 dollars per car per use mm-hmm. just to get to the data you know if i need to download a calibration for a nissan that's going to cost me somewhere around 50 to 100 dollars right that's per car and and per use but the subscription's a couple thousand oh the subscription several thousand uh-huh. probably, probably eight nine thousand bucks for a yearly subscription to them to get that information you're just not going to use it enough in a year to pay to for that pay for the subscription so that's why you see kind of a changing of the fields and, and the way the industry is addressing this you know when you repairing a product at someone else bills and you have absolutely no input into the bill process or any of that then mm-hmm. you just have all you can do is react well and, and you you had mechanical items back in the day mm-hmm you could look at a mechanical item, you could figure it out, you could fix it. If you were pretty crafty, you understood physics, you understood leverage, you understood fluid dynamics. You could look at it. You could and, figure out what was wrong. Right. But today's technical softwares and electronics, and it's just hard to figure out. Even if well, you figure the electronic side well, out. You may be an electronic wizard, but you but don't know how this software is written. Correct. You know, for instance, you get a car in, you've got a misfire on cylinder three. You start checking, you recognize there's no pulse to, to the, injector. the injector on number three. Okay, well, you might say, okay, well, that means the PCM's bad because it's not sending the pulse. However, there are certain cars, just a limited number of them, let's say it detects a misfire because, say, who knows, the, the spark plug's bad mm-hmm. or the camshaft lobe is worn out. Right. It detects this misfire, it shuts down the pulse to number three because it doesn't want to pulse gas and knock out the catalytic converter. Well, unless you have access to that information. Or you're familiar with that system. Familiar with that particular car, you don't know that. Exactly. So then you go in and you replace PCM. Well, I'm still doing the same thing. So now what? <laughs> yeah, now what? You just blew thou- through a thousand Easy. bucks and ain't got close to the problem. Easy. Other cars, if the injector itself has an open circuit or a short, then the computer may recognize that and shut, shut it, it down. down. So unless you've got access to all this information as to how this particular system is going to work, the next car doesn't. The next car, it is the computer's bad mm-hmm. because it has not, none of that kind of stuff built into it. Right. So it just depends on the way the software is configured, and that's proprietary information that they do not release. You and you know next year they may not do it that way; they may do it totally different. So and, and that's what makes the industry so rough to work in i mean (laughs) it makes it very very difficult for someone who is trained tooled has the information and all but impossible to a do-it-yourself or yeah going there and trying to figure all this out you know we get a lot of calls well what's a good such and such and such to buy well you know we work on that every day all day long and it's extremely difficult for me to keep up with that sure you take a part that maybe was a good component five years ago it was good as anything out right. there, but the company's been bought and sold three times since then, and now it's being produced offshore somewhere by and some 
shyster that's just trying to gut the company out and make as much money as they can for you shuts it down and sells it off as a subdivision or something and it's strictly being sold by the name now. right and if you look at that name you say well yeah that's a good name i bought one 10 years ago, ago and it was great well yeah 10 years ago it was great but right now it's absolute trash yep and yep. that's not to say that somebody won't come in and buy the company again and turn it around and, and, it'll and be who, good. Knows? who knows but if you're dealing with it every single day it's extremely difficult but as a do-it-yourselfer it's almost impossible sure I'm not trying to discourage people from trying, but you just got to have so much information now. And the point is, all this stuff is not free anymore. No. There's very, very little. And the free information you get is like stuff on the Internet. Well, that's some guy who just wrote this down. Right. Put it on a website somewhere. You don't know where that information is coming from. Well, No no source. What's his qualifications? Right. What does he know? You know, this could be. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Somebody sitting in the basement of his mama's house just <laughs> typing <laughs> in disinformation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And the makes the problem much, much worse is you got a lot of manufacturers of equipment and tooling and stuff that's just trying to sell their product. So they'll go out there and talk about how great it is. You know, if you Google something like nitrogen and tires, uh-huh. which is, in my opinion, 100% snake oil. It does sure. absolutely no good. It's a useless system. But people who make these nitrogen machines are going to buy up all the advertisers. So when you type in nitrogen and tires, you're going to have 25 pages of paid ads sure. that come up telling you how great it is, all the benefits of it, why you should be doing it, man, how, how do we ever get by without it? And then after about 25 pages, you'll come across something like Consumer Reports, who did a study that says, no, it's useless, mm-hmm. or something like our website, which right. has an article or two in there on that particular topic. So there's just a ton of disinformation out there. The rest is sponsorships where somebody's getting paid. You know, I always say when you get advice from someone, get advice from someone who has no vested interest in telling you one way or the other. Exactly. That's why I tell people, hey, email, and I will give you an unbiased opinion. You're not ever going to do business with me because you're in Nebraska. So I have no reason to tell you one way or the other other than I'm just trying to help. Sure. One reason why our show is unsponsored unsponsored because if you have sponsors out there on some level you're beholden to them sure because they're paying the bills sure look look at any of your magazines Mm -hmm. that well i say magazines how many magazines are actually still out nowadays i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i remember yeah when i was a photographer man you go to a camera magazine and here's this lens it's got glowing reviews oh yeah and you look in the back and it's a four-page ad for that exactly they just bought yeah they, they bought that story is what it did sure and they'll come to you. I mean, even as a business today, we'll get certain oh, yeah. local publications come to you. Well, we want to do a story on your business. Okay. Why do you want to do a story on my business? Well, if you take out this much advertising, we're going to, get, well, no, yeah, wait a minute. It's kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah. I don't, I don't consider that as a, a viable no, thing. Not so, at all. But so many people do. And that's why Google finally started putting that little AD ad uh-huh. button. Uh, makes it a little bit easier, but unfortunately, you type a certain phrase in there, and you're going to probably have 25 pages of those sure. before you even get to anything right. close to the straight scoop. Hey, we're going to take one more quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep... Doing it! Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. <laughs> not you, Denise. You're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. 
I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh, but the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. KK, there's nothing like it. KK, you gotta try it. KK, from New Orleans. <laughs> hey, you go. Hey, welcome back. This is Joyce, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. We're talking a little bit before the break about specializations sure. and, and the way things work. And you got generalists, and then you got specialists. And Actually, you're not truly at Agco. We're not truly either one. We're kind of a hybrid of the two because we found that's what works best. So what we've got instead now is we've got a group of specialists who work together. Correct. Kind of like a doctor's group. You may have an internist. You may have an ENT, a cardiologist, all working together so that they can give you what appears to be full service. But same thing in our shop. You've got, like Brian primarily does chassis alignment brakes wheels that sort of thing whereas jeff does more diagnostics and stuff josh does more transmission Transmission. work chris does more heavy mechanics now what that does is it lets each guy be a specialist within his field and it makes him good because he sees the same things over and again but he has the added advantage that if it expands beyond his specialty he can hand it off to another guy in the shop or at very least get some advice from the other guy. Yeah. Right. You know, if you're working on a vibration that you think is transmission front-end reliant or whatever, and you, it expands into, well, this seems to become a transmission, you can just walk over to the next bay and get Josh. Say, Josh, I'd like you to test drive this car with me. Sure. See what you think. And he may say, well, yeah, that's such, such, such. You because may have familiar come, with it. Yeah, you may have come to the same conclusion, but it may have taken you an inordinate amount of time, and obviously time is money. Exactly. So the newest feel and we kind of pioneered this years ago at agco is a group of specialists working together right and it's sort of a hybrid of the specialty shop that we originally had and the generalist shop that you had before that and you kind of put the two together it's just the best approach we know this day that that can get the problem solved at the lowest overall cost and in a cost you know in a time effective manner now, does that mean it's the best thing it'll ever be? Well, we don't know. We right. just have to keep evolving until we, till you. Yeah, I mean, you you change constantly. Oh yeah, that's that's it's, for fact. Yeah, and today, if you are going to do an automobile at all, the first thing you have to have is the access to the data that the car stores. For instance, scan data and all that sort of thing. If you can do a anti lock brake system, or you can do a chassis control module then you can probably do a power control module. You can do a transmission control module. Sure. The principles and all are going to be the same. There are different codes you're dealing with, but it's going to be different. the same sort of thing, the same sort of approach, the same equipment, the same tooling. All that is the same. So it's very cost-effective to do more things. It's mm-hmm. also much more convenient to the client to be able to get more things done in one, in one spot. spot. And, again, like we said before, the drawback is you're going to have to limit the number of cars you work on. The manufacturer 
Yeah, and people sometimes will get a little angry. They'll say, well, yeah, my neighbor referred to you you were the greatest thing in the world. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, what kind of car do you have? Well, I've got a Volkswagen. Well, so I'm sorry I can't work on Volkswagens. Why not? And, and some people get a little angry about it. I said, right. I'm sorry I'm just not tooled and equipped. Well, this is just such and such. such. Well, I know, but that still requires access to the data. I mean, you can't even change the oil on a modern car unless you got a way to reset the, the maintenance right. lights, right. all the data on that. Well, uh, and, and some of your front-end alignments are not just front-end alignments no. anymore. You have all kinds of electronics. Lane departure. you got electronic racks. Radar power. control crews that ties sure. into it. All that it's tied into it, and after you set the alignment, a lot of those ha- systems have to be reset. Without the proper tooling, you can't even access the, the system to reset it. information to know how to do it. I mean, yeah, even something like chain, putting a set of tires on a car. I mean, if you can't reset all those tire pressure monitors, sure. then he's going to go out with a light on. He's not going to be real pleased. And worst case, you go in there and maybe the ABS light pops off to put a set of tires on. Okay, why is this on? And if you don't and, have the tooling to access the information. Well, this particular vehicle, when you it sees all the sensors go down at one time, it may throw a code into ABS. It may throw a code in chassis module. Mm-hmm. Well, nothing you've ever worked on does that. But it's just this particular manufacturer decided to do it this way. Unless you've got access to all his service data to know how this works, you could spend hours, if not days, hunting around for a problem. And maybe still not. And, and still not be able to fix anything. it. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's just kind of the way the industry is going. And nowadays, if you find a generalist who can do anything on any car, well, he's either going to be such a huge shop with so deep of pockets, or very likely you're not going to get the best service in the world yeah. there because he's you know spread way, 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 way too thin. thin. I've seen some smaller shops will try to do that just because they don't want to turn anything down. Uh-huh. You know, they don't have a big marketing budget or anything to get work in, so they really hate to turn anything down, and they tend to get into a lot of problems because well, they're working on stuff they shouldn't be working on. Exactly. They get into trouble before you know it. It's just like putting a set of rear brakes on a vehicle that has electric parking brake. That's right. Some of those have to have a scan tool to, to retract, retract that. the piston. Mm-hmm. Some of them, if you try to force the piston in, you ruin the whole thing. Assembly. Well, you wipe out the caliper at the very least, and you may not short out the brake module. Short out the ABS <laughs> module. So it's not the simple, hey, let's just throw a set of pads on anything anymore. Yeah, almost everything has gone to that. Like I said, just due to the complexity, it's just kind of the way the industry responds to what's out there. And is it good? Is it bad? Who knows? It's just what is. I don't know. You know, some, sometimes I think it's, it's one of those, hold my beer and watch this. Yeah. You know, let's see what we can do today. Well, they can engineer stuff that, they don't care or don't know or whatever, but they'll put a feature on one car, and then they'll put it out there. Mm-hmm. Well, You kind of use the general public as a testing ground, yeah. whereas they used to test this stuff before it was released. Well, like Ford with that dual-clutch transmission. Uh-huh. And since they've been sued, and it's going to cost them a whole bunch of money, and maybe they'll take that as an object lesson, probably not because they keep getting sued for different stuff and it doesn't seem to make much of an impact. But some engineer gets wild hair to try something. Well, he puts it out there. It doesn't really work out. Everybody's got those cars is now stuck with them. Right. You know, so now what do you do? Yeah. You, you file a class action lawsuit. <laughs> that's about it. That's about know? all the choice you got left. Yep. So anyway, I think that's, I thought it was a particularly good call. We, we get that question from time to time, and so I thought we'd kind of address that. Another thing that we get a lot of calls on or email on or interest in is people who want to buy an older car because they listen to all this stuff we're talking about. It's, well, man, I'm just going to go buy an old car and, and just keep it running. Don't have to do with that. And I'm talking about antique cars now, right. more so than just a used car. Well, and even the guy that had one in high school and mm-hmm. he's upwards 50, 60 years old and he wants another one. Well, people now are getting 
our population is tends to be getting older and what'll happen is a guy always wanted 69 camaro 67 right. camaro whatever now he's retired he came into a fair amount of money he's got some time on his hands so he decides to go buy a 69 camaro and that may be a very rewarding very fun hobby for him and that may be a nightmare sure depending on what you buy and in what condition you buy it has it been restored already and if it has who did the restoration and what your expectations were of the car going right in. and you would be surprised how poorly they drive compared to today's vehicle well yeah yeah it's just I, not the same at all we at, don't at, remember that we exactly. remember how cool they were <laughs> at that time they all all vehicles drove that way so it wasn't a big deal that's right but now they don't so get right back to that right. minute let's go back to our phone i was got mark online good morning mark hey guys good morning how you doing doing great good sir. morning good good so i spoke to you recently about my wife's uh nissan no yes sir um, so we're getting all that work done the uh it's developed a really irritating rattle from somewhere in the dash and it sounds like it's coming from the vents near the windscreen okay i'm guessing my only option really is to basically pull all the dash out i just wondered if you had any ideas what i like to do on those mark is if you can drive the car and it's doing it pretty regularly is just apply pressure with your hand to different parts of the dash until you can see what affects, what affects it. it it either stops yeah, it or makes it worse that's what i did it seems like it's coming from the vents just by the edge of the windscreen i wonder if something fell into that vent and is rattling inside of it any chance of that? that entirely possible yeah. yeah it's possible see if the little vent would come out from the outside some do most don't but if that vent would come out have you ever seen those little things uh, it's like a little claw and it's on a cable and you can push it and it opens and closes like a little hand yeah i think i know what you mean yeah it, do- it doesn't look like it comes out though it looks like i'd have to take the dash out yeah yeah if not then that would probably be i mean you might get on your back and look under there and see if it's plastic tube or anything that comes down or hose that can be detached yeah. without removing the dash so often the way they're built you just yeah. got to pull the dash i mean there's just no other way around it you know yeah, is that something that I might be able to figure out myself? Mark, we've I, talked a number of times. I know you're in England, so <laughs> I can't yeah. recommend bringing it by, but we've talked a number of times. You seem like a pretty clever guy, and I think that if you are willing to take the time to remove that dash, it's just a matter of taking a number of fasteners apart and being sure you label them so they go back in the same place, taking everything yeah, apart, laying it out in a logical manner, and putting it all back. I mean, it's nothing extremely difficult about it other than the amount of time it requires. Okay, so it's really just a case of taking it out bit it's, by bit. It's, it's just like any tiny job where you take it off and put it back on, except it's just a thousand times bigger. You're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you basically just remove, removing yeah. screws and, and putting it back in, so any one task is not difficult. If you can get access to service data, there's generally going to be a written procedure, and there are certain parts that come off before other parts. So yeah, yeah. if you got access to that, it may make it a little less difficult, a little more. Because if you look at it, some things are not intuitive, that you have to take the instrument cluster out before you do this, or the radio has to come out to access this, or and whatever. Some of that stuff is not screws. It's actually hidden clips, mm-hmm. and you got to be careful when you take them apart. You don't break them, especially yeah. on a yeah, plastic I'm, dash. I've had good luck with this stuff in the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah, I mean... I don't think it's anything beyond your capabilities, but if you can get access to some type of written documentation on it, somebody who has done it before that's written it down on the procedure and things to look out yeah. for, that would definitely help you out, I think. Yeah. Am I right in thinking that it would be a lot of labor for a garage to do? Yes. It is. Generally, somewhere between 8 and 10 nice. hours yeah. of labor yeah, at a shop rate. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, nightmare. Okay, all right. Well, maybe I'll have a go at it in the summer. <laughs> okay, Mark. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much. Have a nice weekend. All right, all right Mark. Thanks, thank man. You. Thanks, Carlin. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.
That's uh, Mark Wadham from. Uh, he lives in Surrey, England, which okay. is I think a suburb of, of London. Okay. And uh, listens, uh, yeah, in, internationally. So we, that's we, great. We got customers from all over the oh. world. <laughs> listen, I think we can sneak one more all call right. in before the break. We got Joe online. Good morning, Joe. Hey, Louis. Hey, man. Do you work on Infinity? Yes, yes. yes. It's basically the same as a Nissan. Okay. The I scan mean, tools and all the on, same. On a G thirty five, I don't think it's ever been tuned up about one hundred forty five. Yeah, well, wow. the plugs are due at a hundred, and what'll happen, Joe? If you push them beyond that, it's not going to start running bad. Not going to start idling rough. The mileage is not going to drop off. What instead is going to happen is the PCM is going to start increasing the duty cycles of the calls to fire them. And what you'll end up doing is melting down the call packs on it. When those start going out, instead of like a $20 spark plug, now you got a $150 call pack. And a $20 spark plug. And a $20 spark plug, plus diagnostic time, and plus you, you could even damage the PCM. So I would definitely, yeah, you're not going to get a symptom. The car is designed to hide symptoms from the customer. So by the time, the first symptom is going to be the check-in lights going to pop on. I'm going to be telling you, 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 you got a $1,000 pair here. Yeah, well, I, I don't have any lights on now. But, mm-hmm. uh, it will. <laughs> well, I'm going to bring it in next week. I'll make an appointment. Sounds uh, good. You were talking about people with old cars. Mm-hmm. Well, I have one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, you can put, I've got probably 100000 in this car, guys. Oh, yeah. It don't take long. It don't uh, take long. It'll slip up on yeah, you, man. It's, and then it's, it's not, it's not only the money, it's the time. You, you got to find time to drive the car. You got to time, find That's time right. to do this. And, and it just always needs something. I mean, if you love yeah. the car and it makes you happy, by all means, by all means, yeah. God yeah. bless you. It's a great hobby. Yeah. But don't yeah. go into it well, thinking you're going to spend a hundred dollars. And <laughs> yeah. No, no, mine hasn't been started in four months. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> and, that, and that's even an issue. So. And you know, I yeah. I got one at the house that sat under the carport for six months. I walked past it every day. It sat right there for six months and never opened the door on it. Yeah. It just they get well, to where you time passes yeah. by. Yeah. yeah, life goes on, man. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about offloading mine because I've been watching the price on these charges. They are outrageous. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. Well, I tell you I what, when the price, ha- yeah, if you get close to what you got into, back out of it. It's time to move. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've had fun with the car. So yeah, you go. that's right. I'm, I'm moving on to something. Else. I understand. <laughs> All right, man. All right, Joe. Thank, thank you. Thanks, call me. Bye bye. Let's see. We can catch. We can catch one more call before the break. All we right. got Chris on line. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Yes, sir. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. I've got a 2002 Toyota Tacoma with mm-hmm. a 2.7 automatic. Okay. And having a hard time with it taking a long time to crank. At first, it was just happening in the summer months when the outside air was probably about 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. Sit in the parking lot all day. I'd go out there to crank it, and it would crank for an uncomfortably long period of time yeah. for me, 20, 20 seconds or Right, before it would start. Right, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I took it in, had somebody try to run a diagnostic, but the problem they were having, fuel pressure was fine, but by the time the uh, by the time their computer was able to connect to it, as, yeah. as far as they explained right. to me, the car was crank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was no um, pending codes, and, and, and they just they never could figure it out. You know what I would uh, want to do, Chris, is when they say check fuel pressure, what most shops call checking fuel pressure, they'll hook a gauge to it, and they'll watch the pressure. And if the pressure's right, they'll say, well, the fuel pump's good. And that's one type of fuel pressure test. But you also have to do what they call a bleed-down test, which is you turn it off and you see how long that pressure will hold. Because a number of things can cause that. One is if the pressure drops down too fast, then you're not going to have a charge on the line. And when you go to crank it up, you know, it's not going to have gas in the injector. So have it's going to have to crank up. until the pump cycles. Now, another is if you got an injector that's leaking down, it can actually flood the engine under certain conditions. And you got to clear that flood before it'll start. And that's okay. just saying it's a fuel pressure problem. But 
those kinds of issues are almost always fuel related because it you know something has to occur for it to clear away what you need to try next time it does it chris instead of just getting there and crank 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 cranking when you crank it for it doesn't start immediately okay you know you got the issue occurring just turn the key all the way off and then move it over to own don't go to start but it's all the way on turn it off and do that a couple of times and then try it and it cranks right up then it's probably going to be the fuel pressure issue because what happens is when you turn the key to own the pump runs for like one or two seconds and then the crank sensor says hey the motor's not running so it cuts it off to keep from flooding the engine so if you just leave the key on it's not going to prime you have to cycle it on off on off and that will run that little pump if that makes it start immediately then what's happening is you're losing the prime on the line you and you just need to do a why. different kind of fuel pressure test to find out why. It could be the regulator's leaking. It could be the pump itself is bleeding. The check valve's bad. I've seen a uh, bad coolant temperature sensor cause a double pulse on the injections it and can. flood the motor out. If it thinks it's way colder outside, like an ambient temperature sensor's bad, it thinks it's free. It thinks it's 30, 30 below, below zero, but it's really 90. It's going to pulse those injectors, right? and it, it can flood the engine. So lots of things there to check. And but that little test will n- eliminate a whole yeah. lot of possibilities. If you do that and it cranks right up, then most likely you are into the fuel system. You just need to find somebody who can check it a little differently. Right, right. Well, I did. I did try to. I've listened to the chef for a while, so I did try backing it off and then turning it on, mm-hmm. and that didn't seem to help. It seemed to crank. It, it seemed to take the same amount of time. Okay. The previous owner had had it since new. Said that he said that that would happen occasionally when it was where it was real hot out. Mm-hmm. It would do that after it sat all day, but recently it's just been doing it kind of all the time and it's you know it's been colder out here you know uh, right in Athens, Georgia, right 30 40 degrees out mm-hmm. it's getting worse yeah know. now it could be a component that's starting sure. to fail too and that the temperature affects and you know something like a crank sensor can actually cause that problem there's lots of things if it's getting where it's doing it regularly i'm pretty sure you could probably be able to pick up on it you know, it may even set a code or a pending code if it does not you just have to get to a shop and be prepared to leave it with them for a few days so they can duplicate the problem yeah, the, uh, it was a shop that's pretty decent. Mm-hmm. It has a real good reputation. Right. They had it for nearly three weeks. And wow. They, just, they mm. never could recreate. Some of those things can be yeah. very, very frustrating. They, they, they really can. can. And particularly right. on an older so, vehicle like that where it doesn't store a lot of data. Right. And, and they said a uh, basic solution was those starters were pretty robust. And they said as long as it does crank after a number of seconds, then you might have to just live with it a little bit. Yeah, but again, like you said, it, it seems to be getting a whole lot worse. So I think they probably, I'd probably get it back to them and see if they can't pick up on it now. Yeah. It may be bad okay. enough now to where they can catch it. Right. Okay. Well, give it a shot. All right, Chris. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks, You're man. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. We're going to take our final quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodwitch. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues, uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. They'll check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! Hmm. 
that little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Louis Altazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our general manager, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. Talking just a little bit about people who like a, buy a classic car. They've always wanted one. Sure. And now they've got the money to buy it. And kind of like Joe made the point, he's got a really nice charger. Very uh, nice but car. he probably ended up dumping over hundred grand into this car. Oh, yeah. It doesn't it take it. long. It does. It's, it's a very well-done car. And he has enjoyed it, and he may be able to recoup some of that money back out of because that particular car is a pretty desirable car. But so often people will buy a certain car that appeals to them, and they'll dump a whole, whole lot of money into it, sadly find out that the car is not worth nearly what they've got in it. Right. And so I always recommend to people what you want to do if that is your situation, you want a certain type of car or whatever, go out and see if you can't find one that's already been redone and let somebody else take the big loss on it. The only drawback to that is you don't know how, how they it did was, it, how it was redone. That's right. So that's going to require some good inspection by Very somebody familiar inspection. with the car before you buy it, because you don't want to buy someone else's problems. Sure, and it's it's like kind of that car I got. I know exactly what it is. I know exactly what's in the body. I know exactly what's in the motor. I built it. That's right. But if you buy one that someone else has built, you may be buying a fender full of Bondo. Well, you never know. You never know. What kind of jury rigs has been performed sure. on it and all that. And unfortunately, buying the car, the purchase price, what you put into it, restoring and all, is not the end of it either. No. You know, it's not like getting great grandma's diamond engagement ring. Right. It, and can, it can sit in a jewelry box. It can and sit in a jewelry box value for another hundred years. And, and it'll still be just as good when you take it. You take out a look at it. You get some enjoyment out of it. Sure. But a car is not like that. No. Not a at car all. is not going to just sit. No. It's got parts on it that are time sensitive. Sure. The fluids, the chemicals in it are time sensitive. They're going to go away in time and start causing problems. The rubber on it's going to all deteriorate and go away in time and start causing problems. And not to mention a vehicle that doesn't move is a prime candidate for vermin. Yeah. It, well, all kind of rodents and everything sure. else are going to get in there, chew things up. Not only that, but you have components with dissimilar metals that are sitting there. They're designed to roll and be lubricated mm-hmm. and operate. But if they're just sitting, things like ball bearings and stuff, that ball is sitting in one spot on that race for one sure, way to car on it for a long period of time. It's etched to the race, and then that's the onset of a okay. failure. Sure. So car can't just sit like that. It's not going to just sit there and be the same next time you get ready to go in it. Nope. At very least, the battery's probably going to be dead. The fuel's going to be contaminated. So you're going to have to do some things before you can even get it going. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the fact those old cars were just very, very maintenance intensive. They were. They, they were. They always needed something, like a kid in college. Yeah. They always just, need always something. Need something. <laughs> hey, I see we're just about out of time. You start rounding on up and winding on up get out of here. like thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find a written view, and fill it out for us, please. Thank God. See, we got a couple last week, and Wonderful. I really appreciate that. Those help us out a lot because they move us up in the rankings. When people type in a term, we come close to the top of the list. Also makes you feel real good about what we're doing. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.